This sermon was recorded at Highway Palo Alto in Palo Alto, California. If you'd like to find out more about Highway Community, you can head to www.highway.org. I'm James. I'm the family life pastor here at HPAC, Highway Palo Alto Church of Christ. Somebody said HPAC. I thought that's kind of fun. Interesting. Well, this was us this last Friday. Uh, Our youth group, now our Palo Alto version, got together, and we've been doing this once a month, just hanging out, having a blast, and we went to K1 Speed, and I got to get my Mario Andretti on, and I was like dusting these kids, like, it was really awesome. I felt really good. I don't know about them, but no, really, the, the goal of that time is to build, relation, build an environment where our kids can walk into, a, in a safe way, uh, people that love God and love them. And I, as we think about our family ministry, um, really there are two things that are vitally important. The first, by far the most important for us as a family ministry is to really equip parents to live vibrant, healthy, flourishing lives in Christ. That's it. Because there's nothing that will impact kids more than their parents living vibrant, full spiritual lives. But the second one is also really important, and that is in our space, we want to create an environment where people that are non-parental adults can have relationships with our kids. And so that is the goal of what we want to do as a family ministry in very simple terms. So we are actually shifting um, our Sunday morning. And so starting uh, um, in March, we're going to try something just very a little bit different. And that is when we release our kids, we're going to do a thing called large group, small group. So when the kids go out, they're going to, the elementary kids will join together and have kid-centered work, um, kid-styled worship. And then somebody will present a story from up front to kind of get them all going. And then they'll be released to small groups. The key for that will be that we want to actually break our classrooms into smaller groups where the people that are with them are now no longer have the burden of having to do all this presentation work, but they have the opportunity to really focus in on what is by far most important, and that's relating to the kids. So, in order to do that, we virtually need to double our elementary school volunteers. Be, and that, that, now this is, this, so this is an ask. This is not the sermon. <laughs> this is an ask. And the ask is, would you, would you pray about being one of those volunteers? What it means is serving once a month for uh, just, you would miss the sermon once a month. And what you do is you don't miss the sermon, you go to the podcast and you listen to the sermon on the podcast, which is just as good sometimes. Sometimes even better, because you're more awake, you're, you know, you're able to connect, concentrate. So I, I do that because I serve most days I miss the sermon. So I always listen to the podcast. So I'm inviting you once a month, if you feel that that might be for you, if you want to connect and be a part of something that really is exciting, um, why don't you consider joining and being a small group leader for our, one of our elementary ages. 
The last few weeks, our staff at um, Highway, and in particular Palo Alto, has been taking some time to really um, re-understand our core values. Our core values at our church are transformation, community, truth, and hope. And we've dug into these core values. And one of the things that really the, the, the stream that undergirds all of those is this Jesus love. And my hope today is that you walk away from this service and really from every service we have, every opportunity we have to engage as the people of God at Highway with a deeper sense, a more compelling sense of God's love for you. We've been in a series in 1 John, we call it Authentic Christian Life, and we've been talking about what it looks like to be authentic, and today we're going to be talking about how the authentic Christian is confident. Now the contrast to confidence is insecurity, but before we think about that, we're thinking about this, what does it mean to be real, what is this authentic Christian really about? And where I come from, which is New York City, we had this word for stuff that looked real but wasn't really real, and that is bootleg, bootleg. Now, when you could go around New York City and you could get bootleg anything. You could, get, you could get bootleg Jordans, you could get bootleg Gucci bags, you could get bootleg Cartier, you could get the bootleg Rolex, you could get, of course, the bootleg hottest, newest videos shows that were on in the theater. You need to bootleg anything. And at first glance, the, the, this getting this bootleg thing was really actually kind of compelling, especially as a, as, a, as a junior hire. I'm like, whoa, I could get those nice Jordans. And so you would, you would really be excited because why? It was cheap. It didn't cost that much money. You can put on these fake things and have all the advantages, all the prestige of having the real thing. The only problem is this bootleg stuff, well, it was junk. Like, the bags would break, the paint would start to wear off, and it'd be like, oh, that's, that, that Gucci sign is kind of gone. And like, the thing that it would do is it would render it virtually useless, and it would also basically reveal you. You know, it, it, in an embarrassing way, it would show your your pretense of what you're trying to be. You know, that's where we're at. That's what we're talking about. Um, we live in a world where they, it's laden with bootleg versions of life. They boast all the blessings without any of the pain. But in the end, they leave their adherents destitute. That's exactly what we're looking into when we're looking to, into 1 John. That's the tension that we're facing when we think about an authentic Christian life. I'd like to read the passage together with you so that we're just on the same page. So this is 1 John 4, 7 through 21. If you have a Bible, you, you'll uh, enjoy following along. And it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on, the, on love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother or sister. Thank you for God's word. Confidence in our world is in deep demand, isn't it? I was listening to the radio, and they were talking about how a team needed some confidence to go in and win. They're, when we see people that have confidence, there's a sense that they will be successful. A, not, a confident interviewee gets, goes into that interview knowing that they're going to they're gonna kill it, do a really good job. Confidence, confident business proposal or project submission is one that we've worked hard and we've applied all our skill and our experience to getting it right and we feel confident. Confident relationship is one that works out of long trust. Confidence is something that we really value, we really look for, we really desire. Problem is that confidence can sometimes be elusive. Because for every ounce of confidence, there is the corresponding insecurities that come. I don't, know about, I don't know about you, but I have tons of insecurities. One of them is speaking, so I'm working into one right now. Um, but our world tends to be really laden and driven by fear. There is a fear that underlies and even motivates us. We're afraid of the consequence of what might happen if we don't get something right. And that, it, that just kind of carries us and drives us. So we can have insecurities that, 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 that come all over the place. I mean, we've been insecure since we were little babies, right? We, and our parents gave us that security we needed. But, but when mom and dad wasn't there, all of a sudden the insecurity came back, and so they would get a security blanket, right? So then they feel like they're at home no matter where they are. They're remembering that security. As kids get older, and I was with all our junior hires driving around, 
they are just, you know, oozing with insecurity, social insecurity, and they don't even know it. They're just kind of trying to navigate life, and that's fine, and that's who they, sh who they are, and we love that, but as we get older, we just learn how to sometimes cover that up, right? We, we learn how to pretend our way through, and you might be sitting here and being like, you know what? I'm, I'm honestly, I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty good, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty confident person at work, kind of feel like I have a sense for what's going on. But I believe that we, we, it, it, as we're confident in one area, there are just other areas that maybe we haven't even been hit with yet that could just level us. We might be confident in dealing with finances or management, but when it comes to dealing with our ailing parents or our children, we have really literally no idea how to do it. We might hold on to things desperate to get through and wondering, are they tied to something that's stable? I remember my brothers and I, my dad, we got, our, we got a boat. It was kind of a big boat. We lived in, in, in New York where there was a, a bay. And we had to back this boat down a boat ramp. And we had never done this before. So my dad was on the boat as we're backing the boat down the boat ramp. My brother's in the truck, who's a little bit of a crazy driver. He drives that truck right back into the water the way you're supposed to do, and the boat starts floating. And we kind of push it to the dock, but there's a lot of current in the bay sometimes. And so the boat starts floating away from the dock. My dad grabs a rope, and he's pulling the rope, pulling the rope. And we're like, Dad, the rope's attached to the boat. And so the rope was actually attached to this boat, and he's pulling on it, pulling on it. He's like, and, and the, the, it wasn't helping because it wasn't attached to the dock. It was attached to the boat. We somehow figured out how to get him back to the dock. But uh, it was an insecure moment for sure. You know, there's also false securities where we pretend or we, we have this sense that we're, it's not pretend, we, we have a sense that we're secure, but really we're not. We feel really good about something, but the reality is underneath that surface, it is really cracky ice. Thin ice. I did that once when I was uh, working for a college enrollment um, office in New York, and our VP quit because he wasn't getting enough money from the advertising department. And so I was the next in, in command, and I go to the president of the school and I said, I'll be the director of admissions. I was young, and I had no idea what I was doing, but I was trained to be confident. So I took myself and bent confident. I got this job and I bombed. I mean, I bombed. It was terrible. I was trying to manage a lot, a huge budget, advertising, marketing, mailing campaigns, plus hire a new staff. It was a mess. I was a young guy. And the reality is, though, I was confident going into that, only to find that I was standing on stuff that wasn't really worth being confident. John is writing into that kind of moment. It's a precarious place for his people, the church which is in Ephesus. We've talked, as we've talked about 1 John a lot, that this, this, there's not, 
there's a group of people that have broken away and said, you can have all the best things in life. You can have everything that this Christian life is saying you can have. And you don't even have to worry about the pain. Actually, this Jesus guy, he was just bringing an idea. You don't even have to worship Jesus because that's going to get you thrown out of all the marketplaces and stuff. Don't even worry about it. In fact, you don't even have to really be that invested with your, your, your community here. I know you've been giving money to the older people so they can survive. You don't even have to do that because life is really more about spiritual things. And so these guys had snuck in and they were not even allowing John a platform to speak into. So he writes first and second and third John to his friends and he's hoping to visit the church and solve all these problems but then he can't visit, and now he writes 1 John to answer all these issues. And we've been reading how these answer these issues. So he writes this book probably to his friend Gaius, and he says he's, he, he's hoping that this will be the platform for them to speak into the situation. And he calls these people that were false teachers, he actually calls them antichrists. And they were not loving their brothers, and they were not believing in Jesus. They were creating this false sense of security. They were saying that this Christian life was not worth it. You know, we live in a time that's like that, don't we? This book is really relevant. Because often Christianity is being reduced to functionally a coping, vi coping device for the simple. Or maybe a code of ethics for people that are somewhat rigid and antiquated. That's often how it might be presented or thought about. But for us, we found and learned and experienced that's not what it is. It's so much more. And so John writes into this environment, into this setting, and he's starting to unwrap what confidence looks like. And he says, there's a new kind of, there's a new, there's a confidence that's available that you can live life without fear, that you can hold on to. And, and, and here's the verse that really nails it. It's 1 John 4, 15 through 17. It says, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God, the love God has for us. We know and rely. Those are words of confidence. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how love is made, made complete among them, among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. This is a kind of confidence that we can stand on that is even eternal. So here's really the main point of what I'm trying to say. Confidence is found in our belief in Christ. His love that fills us and flows through us. This love is like nothing else and gives light to the world and to our hearts. Confidence is found in our belief in Christ his love that fills us and flows through us. Now, 
I know you, you might be thinking, hey, uh, that's cool. You know, that's kind of like that, that good old Christian gospel thing, right? I mean, I'm like, I've heard that. That is why I'm here at church. That's what I believe. But really, have you been in regular life? Like, things are a little hard. And I want to contend that this kind of confidence is truly life-encompassing. It's radically integral. It, it is really the kind of thing that will change everything in our lives. And to understand this, we just kind of have to look back at this passage and really try to get a grip of what he's trying to say. And really at the essence of all of this is this sense of love. So I want to kind of outline three, a couple things about love real quick, and then we'll, we'll move, let you go. The first is love, confident love is from God. Verse uh, 18 and 16, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. There are only a few statements in the Bible that really are this specific about the essence of God. God is light, God is spirit. Here is one, God is love. It's hard to get our minds wrapped around what that means. John Stott might help us. He says, God is the source and origin of love and all true love derives from him. Not only is, is God the source of all true love, he is Love in his inmost being. It is true that the words God is love mean not that loving is the only one of God's many activities, but rather that all his activity is loving activity. God is love. And God created us in his image. So what that is actually saying is that at our core, who we actually are, what our purpose is derived out of is the sense that we were created in the image of God. And I've always wondered, what does that really mean? And actually, the Bible kind of pretty clearly tells us. Genesis 1.27 says, God had created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What is that saying? It's saying that the image, the Imago Dei of God is really about our ability to relate. And it unpacks that more. But our ability to relate and to love deeply the way God loves himself is what makes us the image of God. So at the core of who we are is a, is a person that relates, that loves. Second thing. Confident love is defined by Christ, his being sent and his atonement. John makes some strong statements about love in this epistle. He who loves knows God, is a child of God. Whoever does not love is not a child of God. And it always troubled me. I mean, I know some people who are not Christians that love really well. And I know some Christians that not so much. 
But the reality here is he is defining love as Christ being sent in his atonement. Christ, this is love. Christ died for us. It's this Jesus love. It's kind of different. It's not a sentimental love. It's not just about caring and compassion. That is huge parts of it, but it's not just that. It's not even just about sacrifice. It's a love that is defined and founded in actually the work of Jesus. It's the sense that God himself gave his only son and his son died taking on the sins of the world. That is the beginning and essence of this First John foundationally confident love. I'd love, I wish I had time to get into the atonement and what that means, but it's, it's just so impactful to realize that on our worst day, while we were still sinners, we are Christ crucified and risen. That on the altar of all of our weakness and sin, with all of our insecurity there, is the, is the crucified body and blood of Jesus Christ. When we take communion, that is what we're being drawn into. When we come to church and we sit in in the love of God, that is what we're called to recognize and remember. The last thing I just want to share is that confident love is, is actually completed when it resides in us. This confident God love, this confident Jesus love, this God is love thing is actually completed. That means it's finished, it's, 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 it's accomplishing its purpose, it's coming to its fullness when it resides in us. When we acknowledge it, when we believe it, when we receive it, and then we live it. We abide in it and it becomes the defining thing of our lives. That is what completes that love. And that's what completes us. I kept on thinking of, you know, the McGuire, you complete me thing. I'm like, well, this is really what completes you. You know, this is the confidence that we have. And God, who is not seeable, when we struggle to not see God, he's saying, if you want to see me, if you want to see what I look like, if you want to see a proof for God in the world, that proof is the existence of love. All love, which is ultimately derived in Jesus and God. It's powerful. The definition of success of our life is actually love. So what does that mean? It means that we could have a solid career, we could have a healthy family, we can leave, we can feel confident about, confident we're going to leave behind a really d- diverse portfolio. We could have our, we could go to a good school. We could have our kids go to a good school. We can feel good about what they're doing. We could great, we can date a great person. We can have a great marriage and still fail at life because we don't have love. Most likely you will have love if you get to some of those things. But the reality is, love is the definition of success for the Christian life and for humanity. 
That's a radical statement, I know. It's exceptionally radical in a place like Silicon Valley where there are all kinds of drives for success. And what we're saying is to, to be confident is to have that love of God abide in us and allow that to transfer into the world. Our world is full of insecurity, but the antidote of that fear and insecurity is God love. I know, it sounds crazy, right? It's hard to really kind of put this all together. And I'm just thinking, you walk into your boss's office, and the minute you walk in there, you're not really fully a person. You're, you're an object who is there to help accomplish the bottom line. You're being evaluated by what you can do and by the value you bring to that project. And how could you say, God, is th that my confidence should be, should be in God? How, how could you say I, that this has any bearing on how confident I walk into that room? But I'm, try I'm trying to say that love here changes everything. I want to close here, but I'm I want to try to kind of drive this home. I guess one of the best ways I can try is to say, I believe that love, this, this Jesus love, it actually is the thing that impacts the bottom line the best. Here, here's, here's what I want to try to say. Our world is driven by fear. We're always worried. We're always concerned about what could happen. We're trying to mitigate against those things, and that's what drives us. That's what wakes a lot of us up in the morning, right? We get excited. We do these things so this won't happen. But I believe there's a better motivation for, the, for life. I believe there's one that's not ultimately driven by fear, but there's one that's driven by love. And I believe when you walk into that boss's office and you're not sure and you're feeling insecure, when you realize that your ultimate and true value is in the fact that God is love and he loves you and you've accepted that, it changes everything. It changes your confidence walking into that room, and it also changes your impact to the bottom line. You know why? Because people that are in touch with that are centered. People that are in touch with that have access to the God that created, sustained, and managed the universe. People that have access to that kind of love have a, a being about them that brings everyone around them to a positivity. They're not manipulative. They're not trying to be cutthroat. They're not, they don't have poor ethics. They have this love that is powerful. And yes, they will have limits in their life. And those limits will not hurt the bottom line. Those limits will ultimately impact and bring that company that longevity. And so you you're, might be wearing yourself against a younger guy who's like working 80 hours a week and maybe he does not have that kind of security. But the reality is what they're doing is rested on a different kind of confidence that's not going to last. It's a bootleg life. I'm going, I'm going way over, Jake, sorry. <laughs> but I'm trying to bring it to a close here. So the question is, how do you live into that love? 
How do you get it? My daughter made some cookies one time, and I was excited to eat these cookies, and I took a bite, and they tasted horrible. <laughs> like really, really bad. And we were trying to figure out what in the world did you do <laughs> to these cookies? And it turned out that she had gotten one of the ingredients wrong. She put in, I think, baking soda when she should have put in something else. When the outcome of our groups or our organizations or our church or our culture tastes bad, it's because when it doesn't reflect Jesus' love, it's because the ingredients are off. So what are the ingredients that we're putting into our system? And if you expect a good-tasting love cookie to come out, but the ingredients are all off, it's going to taste like a really bad cookie. So I would like to submit to you to change this, what, what ingredient do you need to change? Second thing is, this call is to receive and abide in the love of God. Love ultimately means love one another. There's a reason God said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the commandments in the Old Testament hang and hinge on these two. That's what Jesus said. That was a radical thing. What Jesus was saying is that this love, the way it plays out, the way you love me, is actually loving other people. It's, it's actually not distinct. It's, the, it's, it's together. And so, as a church, are we loving one another? And I believe it is so hard to push against that in an isolated world where we are pushed to hunker down. We have to overcome that. We have to not live our lives digitally without each other, but to push to be face to face, to push to say, you know what, I'm struggling. I need prayer for this. To push in and we got to get together and be together. And that's why, you know, as a staff, we're so excited about small groups. That's why, as a family pastor, I want our kids to be around you guys. That's why we want, that's what we want to do on Sunday morning. It's not about a service. The church is not something you come to. It's something you are, you're part of. And so we love hanging out with you. We ha love hanging out together. We want to be able to share our lives. That is what's going to compel and change all our insecurities. And that's what's going to stand out in the world like nothing, nothing else can. So let me pray while the team comes up and we get ready for communion. Lord, you know me. You know I'm one of the more, more insecure people in many ways. And so this is not, this is a, thing that we are in journey together on. And as journeyers, I pray that you would meet us. I pray that you would give us all a sense, a deep sense, that you are right there with us in this journey, whatever the obstacle may be that we're looking at, into.
would you fill us with an almost overwhelming sense of your agape love that redefines the whole world? Lord, would you keep us from, from the kind of shame that, would, that is deceptive? But Lord, we welcome if there's a place to be convicted. We thank you that you're kind to bring us to corrections. Lord, would you open our hearts as a community? Lord, would you, would you bring us together so that we can be a family that's, that loves one another in a really unique way, in a place that really doesn't often experience that kind of love? Lord, these are huge things, and only you can do them. And so we come to you asking for that in Jesus.